Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I have in the beach shack Richard Fogarty. Now he is an MMA fighter and now he's coaching a lot of the young kids coming through and mentoring. He grew up in Sydney, his father owned pubs, so he saw a lot of the fighting back in the 70s and 80s and that stemmed to being bullied at school and then wanting to fight to defend himself, but then went on to become a very good fighter. He also was in the Jeff Fennick camp. He met Muhammad Ali and also Mike Tyson. He is uh, someone who is now putting back in martial arts and boxing. So now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Richard. Yeah, this week in the Beach Shack, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to this interview. It's someone that uh, has been around a long time. He's got a, a really good story and can fight. So welcome to the Beach Shack, Richard Fogarty. How are you, Rich? Thank you, mate. Thanks, Hobbo, for uh, having me on, mate. It's been a pleasure to uh, come on and join. Well, mate, I'll start when you grew up in Sydney. So tell us a bit about that. Well, I was, yeah, I was, born, I was born in Sydney. Dad was a copper down there. In uh, in Sydney in the in the seventies early seventies so it puts me as an old bloke, <laughs> but yeah once in Sydney for a while and then uh, then I was just basically moving around because obviously mum and dad started with his coppers he went to the Muscle Brook and had a few uh, places where we lived because dad was a uh, copper back then, but more or less uh, then we sort of ended up in hotel life from then on so it was like more Newcastle in the in the late seventies. We owned a Criterion Hotel, which was the pretty much the gay, lesbian, and bikey pub back in the day in in Islington. <laughs> and then uh, I was just pretty much moving around from town or city to city with hotel life. Well, mate, how was that as a, a, a kid hanging around hotels? You would have seen plenty going on, especially back in those days. Yeah, back in the seventies, Newcastle probably was a big big eye opener because a lot of things happened in my life during that time and it was more or less you know as a youngster my brother and I because we obviously grew up together in the hotels and it was I don't know we that's where I think where we first got introduced to uh so to speak violence because obviously when we when you're sort of 4 years old 5 years old you you get to sit in the the front bar with all different characters and Next minute, you know, there might be a glass smash, there might be a punch on, there might be a disagreement, there might be, you know, uh, everyone just, yeah, it was, it was more, you could get away with a lot, obviously, back then, so everyone was just, didn't care what happened, they were just in there, and that's where I think we got introduced to violence, so to speak, and then uh, during that time, it was sort of like more of a harsh time where we had a babysitter, and, I, and I'll follow it with a babysitter, who babysat us while mum and dad were working all the time. So 
that's where I sort of come where the hotel life, my brother and I are very close even to this day, but because of the circumstances and at that stage of a of a young young boy's life, I don't know, you can't you come across those type of crew and the babysitter ended up trying to take and, and taking advantage of me as a as a young kid, bit of a uh, abuse, sexual abuse and, and different sort of avenues. So was, the hotel life was sort of, it was good in one way because my brother and I could just live our own lives. Mum and Dad were too busy, so we could just, you know, run around lives throughout the hotels. And then, but the other side is that when I'm left alone, then, you know, certain things would happen and, you know, even sort of haunts me today where I sort of, used to argue with me brother and, you know, tell him certain things, you know, that I hated him and I always fought with him just so when I knew it was that time to, you know, things were going to happen, then I didn't want him to be in that circumstances because I knew, you know, I don't know, I was just, my mindset was turned on and off all the time. So it was just, just one of those things I just endured, I suppose. Mate, it must have been tough at that age. And did you keep it to yourself though? No one really knew what was happening. No, at that time, because I don't, you know, when you're a young young kid and you you've got trust in people and trust in, especially someone who's been involved with the family for that long, you sort of you trusted them and and uh, you thought this was that was okay to do. So I sort of kept that to myself, even though it was sort of at that stage it sort of really confused me more than anything. It, it sort of wasn't really. A hurting thing. It was more a confusing thing for me at that point because that was getting done. But then hotel life, mum and dad were working. Then you'd see fights, and then my brother and I would go off and do things together. So I was really—I don't know. It was just one of those things where I couldn't say like I was getting hurt. It was more—I was very confused of what was going on. Now, look, I've got a lot of listeners that are young, and and you know, so many people out there, and you hear these stories all the time, and. Probably more so now because people are speaking about it. And it's great that you've come out and spoken about this. And is there something that you can tell the listeners that should you bring it up with someone, or is it just being in your situation is just it's too hard to, to say what's yeah. happening? Well, well it, it, I suppose it is in different situations because, yeah, I mean, you get ones who who don't know the person, and it happens, and then you feel like you've you're embarrassed, you feel let down, you feel like you can't talk about it, and some are the people that you do know. So, again, if you do come out and then, you know, people who you do love don't believe you because they know that person and that person couldn't have done that. So it's a very it's a very hard situation to be in. Um, my advice, which I wish I had the courage probably earlier on in my life to uh, – because I think I, I never really mentioned too much – for a lot of years so it was more I wish I had had have said something that something wasn't right and I didn't feel right and but you know my my parents back in the day my old man being a copper and a publican I mean he, he probably may have ended up in jail by you know going back and and killing that poor bloke you know I don't I don't know the circumstances I was just sort of really I was that confused you know, which put me in instead of being confused a good part of my childhood. And then when you were going to school, did that affect that in the back of your mind? Did that affect, you know, when you're dealing with other kids? Did you get like, did that bring on the, the, the fighting side of things? Not to start with. It was sort of like that was more what I was dealing with personally. And then obviously uh, 
having red hair and freckles when you're in primary <laughs> school back in the late 70s and 80s wasn't wasn't something that helped you along in school either with getting sort of bullied or or the, with the women so both in <laughs> in regards to that it was more I'm not quite sure it was just more red hair and freckles I think and then just getting bullied I think once it I sort of kept that abuse to myself but then when I got to school then and I hated fighting so even though I'd watched it in the hotels and you know, I seen it all that that was happening around me, but I never really. I just it really gave me anxiety and stress that that having having to fight. But in the end, it was just you know the bullying and everything else that was happening to me. I, it just got too much for me because you know you get back in the day when the old head down the toilet flush that was a fad back then. You know, and yeah, uh, I got so, I got a few of those back in the day. Yeah, so, so <laughs> that sort of uh, that sort of happened a couple of times, but it was more. I'm not quite sure whether it was just because what I was dealing with personally and then I just had, you know, like a, a smart mouth or I just didn't care, you know, about others. And I think that sort of rubbed people up the wrong way. And then obviously certain things, I don't know, it was just seems like I was always the one singled out to, to have a fight with and, and I hated fighting. So sometimes when I, you know, got picked on, they said, after school, let's meet out the front and... You know, I used to go, right, I make sure we're out the front, you know, you know, let's fight. <laughs> Knowing mum picked me up out the back. So that that was always and then mum would drive past the front and I'd just see this massive crowd just, you know, thinking, Wow, that's they're all waiting for me and who knows what I would have copped, you know. So and I think I got to a stage where I think year nine or year ten and I was just I was just getting sick and tired of it, to be honest. I just needed to start learning how to fight and learning how to protect myself, learning how to get confidence. Yeah, it's just even though that learning the fight and confidence sort of it was good in one way because I started to grow and started to show my masculinity, which and then I started competing in fighting, which I, at first I thought, you know, legally I can hurt another man across the across the ring. But then, you know, later on years I thought, you know, the fighting I think was more to show people my masculinity that I felt probably got taken away from me early on in, in my childhood. So tell us about when you started. Did you start with boxing or, or was it martial arts? Or what, what, what sort of fighting? Yeah, I come across a friend who was in primary school and then we sort of part of ways. He went to another school, but he was he had red hair and freckles but was a very good fighter back in primary school. So I was just sort of tagged along with him because you know, obviously I didn't want to be sort of picked on and he wasn't getting picked on so I thought I'm with I'm with this bloke now <laughs> uh, so we were friends through through primary and then um, he sort of went to another school and then I went to another school and we sort of parted ways but a couple of years went by and I crossed paths with him again and uh, he said come along to training and and they, they were doing more the kickboxing at that stage but from a background of Kyukushin karate which is like a Japanese knockdown style so you don't have any shin pads, you don't have any gloves, but you just it's two guys, you know, or girls just stand in front of each other until the first one sort of drops, basically. So I thought, wow, this is, this would be good to learn. And then I sort of just trained along with them and then started to get addicted to, you know, learning how to fight, learning different things about martial arts. And then that took me into the kickboxing and boxing at that stage. And then uh, I just, I don't know, I just kept on loving to compete. It didn't really matter whether I was fighting boxing, kickboxing, kyukshin karate, ring karate. I sort of wanted to jump in and test myself in, in all aspects of that. So that's where it all began. 
to to fulfill my sort of fighting sort of thing, you know. And then what? What? How was the first fight when you you'd been doing a bit of training and and then you uh, finally come up against an opponent and what what was that like? Oh, it's a bit of you don't really feel too much to be honest. It's sort of like more. It was more adrenaline, you know, the adrenaline's dumping and you're sort of like nervous because, you know, you're going into just stand across, you know, across the ring from another person. So it was a bit of a, um, yeah, I don't know, it was a bit of just jump in there and let's just see how it all goes. <laughs> then you had a, a – what happened from there? Did you keep uh, fighting for a few years? Yeah, I sort of sort of just continued loving what I was doing, and it sort of, in one way, it sort of led to a healthy a healthy uh, lifestyle, where I was sort of like fighting and and sort of but trying to be, I suppose, after what what I went through is trying to be accepted was the big thing, you know. Obviously, being bullied, red hair and freckles, you weren't accepted nowhere, you know. So it was just more being. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to have friends, and fighting is pretty much what gave me that sort of outlet. One to you know, get rid of some frustration, some anger. And then the other one was to more just have that confidence of of belonging to somewhere and having that sort of friendship around me and and being accepted somewhere. That's that's what it all pretty much started. I see you had a break from, from fighting and started going surfing and, and doing yeah. other things. And, you know, what was that like? Yeah, I don't know. Once you... I, once I went through a few few years of fighting, and I know I sort of obviously started to surf, but also I wanted to. Uh, you know, I played a couple of years of rugby league down in when we we're living in a, a little country town of Tamworth back in New South Wales. So we, uh, my brother and I, sort of finished fighting together, and then we sort of went, oh, let's go and play rugby league. So and we weren't, we didn't go too bad rugby league. It was sort of like a team sport, so we felt a little bit, you know, more with the team and. And uh, my brother being sort of, he was a very big dude. He's he's quite the opposite to me. So we sort of had that little bit of a partnership where I'd be sort of either halfback or five eight, and uh, as long as it was only five meters out from the line, my brother would just stampede everyone and score the try. So I was a bit of a, a comedy and good con- sort of contact during that time. But yeah, then the surfing. Once we moved and uh, went to the Sunshine Coast, I just sort of wanted to surf all my life. So started to surf and then once my sort of fighting was starting to finish up after sort of 10 or 12 years of jumping in and out of the ring I sort of took up you know coaching and I thought oh you know I really love the sport and it was more I finished up on doing Muay Thai and I just thought you know I'd love to just carry on and coach a few young youngsters coming through. And what's that been like I mean you're still coaching today and and you know watching the young kids come through and You've been a part of, you know, being MMA fighter and everything. You've got all the experience on various uh, techniques in fighting and giving back. Is is that a, a good part of being the trainer? Yeah, I think I think at the start when I wanted to uh, be a coach, I was just I was just more or less going, well, you can be a fighter and learn all all that you can can learn. But when I was a coach, I thought, well gives me an opportunity to, one, give back to younger fighters through the experience I've had, but also continue on my journey as a coach and start learning from some of the best. And, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity over, you know, a 10 or 12-year period to travel travel and pretty much, you know, live the U.S., 
US back and back and forward a few times. I think I've done my brother and I done like 48 trips to the US back and forward since 2008. And you know some of the experiences of you know watching and learning under sort of Freddie Roach over in LA and then over in Albuquerque with some of the great MMA coaches uh, Winkle John and and Greg Jackson. I spent a lot of my time so. My sort of love for coaching Muay Thai and, and boxing turned into learning the sort of process of coaching with MMA. And MMA is completely different when coaching, you know, because you've got to put boxing, Muay Thai, Kung Fu, Karate, you've got to put everything into, into that aspect of MMA striking. So, yeah, that sort of gave me the opportunity to travel the world, to be honest. And how was it traveling the world? You would have uh, met so many people in the boxing, the the MMA, you know, industry. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, ha- having sort of that access to some of the highest sort of profile fighters, uh, especially at Jackson Winkle, John. But I think, uh, you know, back in 2008, it sort of all started where we got the opportunity to actually fly over to Kentucky and have uh, – brunch or lunch with Muhammad Ali at his place and I think that's what kicked off the whole uh the whole sort of you know that that was the the drive to go wow you know I want to travel the world and meet so many different people and then uh so when Muhammad Ali was realistically your first person that you sat in his house with him and his family and then Lennox Lewis was there and man I was just I was all in awe of you know, that Muhammad Ali sort of, you know, what a great man he was. So that's where it kicked off. And then obviously friends with Jeff Fennick, that that guy knows pretty much everyone around the world. So whenever, whenever you're with Jeff, you, uh, you're you pretty much going to be hanging out with the, the elite. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, whether the Australian elite are over in America or Americans are in Australia. Jeff, Jeff pretty much set us up and opened a lot of doors for us to meet a lot of people. And that, mate, travelling through uh, the US, obviously that's pretty big with the, the fighting and Jeff would introduce you to uh, so many people and, I mean, he was a great fighter himself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, he's, and he's still respected all over the world. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, especially the US, Jeff, like Jeff's known everywhere. And he's, he's the one who introduces us to Mike Tyson and his wife, Kiki, so every time, you know, he used to ring us and say, let's go over to the U.S. I'm going to hang out and have lunch with Mike. Then me and my brother would say, 100%, we're there. So we'd just take off in a plane and just hang out with him. But, you know, we got the chance to to catch up and hang out a lot with uh, the likes of, like, Warney, who was good friends with Jeff as well. So we spent a lot of time with him when he was with Liz Hurley. McDoohan, when he'd fly in, Jeff would go, right, we're going to McDoohan's nightclub. We're going to, you know, let's go all to go out. <laughs> Joe Hashem, you know, all those guys with the Triple Eight Poker, you know, used to end up as the Triple Eight Poker trip in July. Some of the access that, that sort of Jeff had, and, you know, we were very blessed to be very close friends with him to uh, some some of the craziest, you know, guys you just watch on TV and the next minute you're in there hanging out with them. So it was a bit of a bizarre life at some stages. You could only do sort of five to ten days in Vegas or you'd get lost. <laughs> oh mate, it was, would have been amazing meeting those people. And you know, what's Mike Tyson? What's he actually like? Personally, he's he, sometimes you get a good Mike Tyson. 
Sometimes you might get the angry Mike Tyson. Sometimes you get the stoned Mike Tyson. But, yeah. you know, to for him and Kiki, Kiki was always welcoming to us. Whenever we're going to Vegas, we'd email her and say, is Mike home? She'd always welcome uh, us around to the house. And Mike, you know, Mike would always be there. And, you know, as say, whether he's angry, whether they've just had a fight or whether they're happy or whatever. But. He was always always respectful to me and Rob. So was Kiki, and and to this day they're still. I think they're still great great humans, you know. And also Muhammad Ali. I mean, that's you know, probably the the most known and and you know greatest fighter of all time. Yeah. Well, to me, you know, listening growing up, listen to my old man, you know, talk about the Ali fights and what he used to watch and. And uh, then obviously looking into Muhammad Ali, and it doesn't take much to look into Muhammad Ali. Everyone in the world knows that name. But just having the opportunity just to, you know, not, not too many people that I know and, and have had the opportunity to go to his house where he actually lives, sit down with his, sit down with his family. Even just sitting in his presence was something else as well you know because you just you all think back to the media what he used to say and do and yeah it was just it was just an amazing experience that that i'll live with for the rest of my life mm. now one thing you you were in the jeff fennick camp and, and i remember jeff had a heart attack where were you and when you heard about that we we're in australia my brother and i and my brother being closer to jeff than than i was you know that they, they've been thick and thick as thieves for the last 10 years but yeah we were sort of we're over at home in in australia and he was in thailand training i think he had like brock jarvis and a few of his young young talents over there training and then then we heard he's he's not feeling well he's he felt you know he's we thought he just had like a really bad case of the flu or food poisoning and then they said no jeff's going into hospital susie the wife was gonna you know dart over there and even Jeff said, you know, I think, Susie, you better get over here. And even Jeff, I think Jeff knew at that stage something was really, really happening. And then we heard that, yeah, he's, he's having a bit of a heart attack or had a, a heart bypass or something. And, yeah, I was like, wow, that's that's crazy, you know, because that dude, he, he'll train like he loves his red wine. But, you know, drinking, drinking beer and drugs, Jeff has never done. And he's, you know... That's probably why he's prolonged his life, you know, so so much as being a fit a fit person. So that was a bit, yeah, that was a bit of a, a shake up. And I obviously, uh, you know, we all get our checkups every six six months just to see what the old ticker's doing, making sure because we're not we're not twenty five anymore. So you got to keep you got to keep yourself sort of maintained, as they say. Yeah, that's right, mate. It doesn't matter how much you train, you still uh, we're all getting older, aren't we? Hundred percent, hundred percent. So. You know, you're training the, the, the young guys now, but as you said, you, you're a bit older now. How's your body holding up from all the, you know, training and the, and the fights you've had when you were younger? I'd probably say because my mental health, I have to train every day. So I've got to do an hour a day and I've got my set, set sort of routine that I do and a good friend of mine, sort of James Tahuna, who used to be a, a sort of a MMA fighter as well, he gave me a bit of a workout that he does each day, which keeps the body and the mind pretty strong. And, I, you know, we were doing it through lockdowns. And But the body, considering how, how much pretty much torture it's been through, I'm, I'm very blessed. And I, I think the more I keep active and the more I keep training, 
the better my body's going to maintain because I know when I do have a couple of weeks off, which I've just had two or three weeks off now because I've done the Mark Hughes Foundation 150-kilometre uh, walk from Sydney to Newcastle only three weeks ago and uh, burst a couple of acre cysts in my knee and you know had a foot infection after it. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a uh, – I haven't had too much wrong with my body over the years, so – this sort of three weeks with no training, just you know, trying to get the knee back into mobility, that's been the harshest thing for me, you know. So yeah. it's, uh, but it's been nice to rest. But now, like today was the first day back into training, and I could only, you know, I only sort of just push myself to the limit where I was, I was just knackered, and then that was it. I was just going, <laughs> let's just, let's just build, because I'm a, I'm a bit of a go 100 percent or go nothing person. So I needed to start, you know, hold myself back, but. The body, the body in regards to what it's been through is is really holding up well. And mate, that yeah, the Mark Hughes Foundation. I mate, I only do the walk from the uh, from around the football stadium to the to the opera house, mate. That's as far as I can go. So 150k, you've done an absolute blinder. Oh mate, I tell you, and there was 45 of us, and some some of them, you know, were going through. Even some of the girls uh, and guys had had the brain cancer, like at present, and they still done the 150 kilometer walk wow. that 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 just amazing and again with you know legends like glenn gorick who's who's a personal friend of yours as well like he's an iron man obviously a, a triathlon iron man legend but to, for him to walk from cronulla to newcastle in motorbike boots and motorbike equipment that's next level, man. That's like, I mean, I, I'm mentally, I'm, I class myself as mentally strong and pain sort of, uh, and I've got a pain threshold pretty well. But I just thought to myself, man, and some of the some of the strides he was beating me at, and I'm like, damn, this dude is just a machine, absolute machine. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was bagging the other week about that. It's a that's an absolute massive effort, isn't it? I, I can't oh. believe he actually went the whole way with, in, in the motorcycle gear. I, I just thought even, I can't even fathom who would come up with that idea, you know, just unless, unless they've been at that elite level and their and their mindset, mindset's that strong that they need something else to challenge them. And mm. I think that's what it was for him. But, yeah, man, he's an absolute beast. MMA fighting now, do you think the sport has gone into an era now that it's it's excelling from the when it first started? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, you know, uh, MMA now, because it's, it's nearly frontline media, especially on Fox, you've got ESPN and Fox Sports and all that. And, it's, you know, we've got a lot of the Australian guys who are winning world titles, who are up there with the best in the world. M MMA is, because it's fight, there's fights every second week, so to speak. So people are getting, people are getting uh, you know, a lot of opportunity and a lot of exposure to MMA. And it's an art where you've got to learn a lot of different arts to be good at it. And that's that's probably the thing that people are paying attention to. Some people think it's a bit barbaric with the small gloves, cage, and they in their mind, they you can do whatever you want, but it, there is rules and regulations these days. They used to not be. <laughs> but the same as boxing, like Australian boxing at the moment is, is flourishing. World boxing at the moment is flourishing. Everyone now, the fat is to be and the, the universal world champion have all the belts so you see more boxers trying to trying to get that yeah so mma and boxing at the moment is really just climbing and climbing with popularity well i mean there's a lot of kids watching a lot of people enjoy it 
And I suppose a lot of parents would go, I don't want my son or, or, or to do that sort of sport. But really, if you're trained properly, it minimises the, you know, the injuries. Definitely, definitely. You, the more you train it, that's like anything. If, if I sat there and played soccer, you know, and trained soccer day in, day out, then I'd be conditioned for the running. I'd be conditioned for the, the hitting. I'd be conditioned for the kicking. The same as martial arts. If you're doing jiu-jitsu and you're rolling every day learning jiu-jitsu, then your body's getting conditioned for some of the takedowns, some of the arm bars, some of the leg locks, or, or whatever's going on in that side of things. Boxing's the same. You know, conditioning the body, conditioning the head in regards to boxing. So it's, it's more just, you know, the more you do it, when, when young people or parents say, oh, I don't want my son or daughter to do that, I usually say, if you're going to do anything, get your daughter to, do, to learn jiu-jitsu first because when, if she's getting attacked on the street in these days, how our world is, anything can happen. So if your daughter knows how to protect herself jiu-jitsu, it, it sort of gives you a bit of ease in the mind that, you know, she can she can learn jiu-jitsu. If she wants to learn stand-up boxing, then, you know, so be it. With the, you know, there's a lot of Muay Thai knees or elbows or punches that might help her out of self-defense as well. But, again, the women are starting to learn these, these martial arts and starting to go, I want to try myself and try this sort of level. And, mate, at the moment you're getting some unbelievable women athletes that are in the cage in the boxing ring doing it better than half the men. And it's a great point. It's, it's not only training to become a fighter, it's, it's also great for self-defence, just as you said, just out in the society the, you know, these days. Yeah, well, you've got not only self-defence, but you know, they, might, they might be bullied at school and that gives them confidence to, to move forward and, and you know, teach other people once they've learned the art. So, yeah, it's definitely not, definitely not just all about, oh, if I do martial arts or boxing, I've got to fight. It's definitely, these days, it's more about the fitness and what the boxing and the MMA training does to your body and your mind. It gives you that confidence to go, well, I can really achieve things that I never thought I could achieve. So, and to me, it's, you know, if, if a young girl can learn how to defend herself, yeah, I'm all for it these days. So you and your brother are both still training athletes? We were in Newcastle for seven years. We've just moved to Melbourne over the last year and a half. So we moved down, obviously, during lockdown, was which was a bit harsh. We've opened up a gym down here, Brooklyn Fitness Centre, which is a 24-hour gym. But at the, at the back of that, it's Brooklyn Boxing Club. So, yeah, we've sort of... We haven't really come down to Melbourne to continue on because you don't want to. I don't want to really be sixty or seventy year old holding pads and getting still, you know, the the kick kicked out of me. So uh, it's more it's more now selective of you know whoever comes in the gym if they actually give us their dedication of what we want from them, then we'll give them time. But if they're only coming in for a couple of days and they expect us to put all our time and effort into them, that doesn't happen. So I think the older it get we get and the more experience we get we've sort of more been selective and go we're going to work with this guy because he's he's given us six days a week he he really wants it where others just come in and go oh you know i want to be a fighter and there'll be one or two days a week you know that that's not going to cut it with us anymore so over the years the amount of sort of athletes that we've trained my brother and i our last one sort of before we left newcastle to come to uh melbourne was mark hunt against gallon 
So we had Mark up in Newcastle and we had Bam Bam Tuivasa up there as well uh, before he fought Struve in, in, the, uh, in his UFC fight. Yeah, that, that was our last. Once Mark and Gal fought, then our sort of our sort of agreement with Melbourne was to come down and open a gym down here and, and just start the process of building up the gym with some amateur fighters and some professional fighters. So there's a, we've got a couple of pros in there at the moment uh, who have who know known what we do when we do our training, so they've come across to us. And we've got a couple of good amateur fighters who are putting in the time of six, five to six days a week, so we're putting a bit of time into them. But outside of that, it's more... I've got my own sort of podcast I'm doing and then I'm, you know, golf days, very important to us, me and, me and my brother, Friday's golf days, so we try and get out once a week to try and uh, better ourselves at, at golf. So, yeah, it's it's not so much trying to keep going hard at the moment. It's more like just taking taking a step back and just having a bit of a, uh, a rest and, and just enjoying life, I suppose. Now, with you and your brother, you're both fighters and, and you're both now training. Is there a time when you have an argument and one goes, come on, let's get in the ring? No, no. When we were sort of just starting off years ago, you know, we used to just have our sparring <laughs> sessions. But uh, thankfully, you know, I, I used to sort of go hard, try and go as hard as I can on him. But because he, he would have been, you know, 20, 20 kilos heavier than me, he would sort. Of, I think he'd just take it easy on me. I think he'd just let me let me give him a <laughs> bit of a bit of a touch up, and because I know if he actually landed one on me, I'd probably be out cold. So, <laughs> he, he, I, I think he he let me just uh, think and get my confidence. And uh, I think he was just at the back of his mind. He was like, if I hit this, yeah, if I hit this skinny redheaded fella, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> probably kill him, and I don't want to kill me brother. So. Uh, but no, we sort of, if we have arguments, you know, we've, as I say, we've been very close uh, since since being young and nothing has really got in between our relationship and I don't think anything ever will. We're very strong and that comes from our mother, you know, that was one wish she had before she passed was, you know, make sure you keep loving each other and make sure you keep sort of uh, being there for each other. So everywhere we've moved, whatever town or city and whatever business we've moved into, we've always done it together. And it's just like we follow each other around no matter where each other goes. But when it comes to arguments, we might have a bit of a, a yelling match at each other for about, you know, a minute. And then uh, we mightn't talk for a couple of hours, but then one of us will go message each other and go, hey, what are you up to? And then that, you know, that, that'll put us back in. We're usually talking after that again. So not, not much sort of uh, comes between us. One of your favourite places to go to is Hawaii. So why yeah. is that? Well, surfing, surfing. I used to read all the magazines when I was a young fella and used to think, oh, man, I'd love to go over to Hawaii and just the surfing over there. Not that I, I go on into the surf at the pipeline and all that. I've been there, I've been there once a couple of years ago in April and hopefully I think I'm booked in for November again uh, this year. But I've just got really, really good people over there who are really sort of decent, decent guys. So, yeah, just made really good friends and close friends with some of the legends over on North Shore. So that's pretty much, you know, I've loved that that side of it. And I think I, I watched a movie called um, The North Shore, which is like all about Hawaii. It's a bit of a comedy come surfing movie. So once I watched that, I just I just fell in love with it. I was like, wow, look, I'm, I'm definitely going to there. And uh, <laughs> found, me, found me way there and just made some incredible friendships, to be honest. 
mate, yeah, it's a great place, Hawaii. It's uh, I had a couple of mates who were on the pro tour years ago, and yep, used to travel around and catch up with them. And yeah, it's a, a beautiful place to, to hang out. You mentioned your podcast. Where do you get your podcast? Give that a bit of a bit of a plug. Yeah, well, I've just uh, I've only just started like three episodes ago, so I've had Mark Hunt. He was my first episode. I couldn't have anyone else but him. Obviously, being close friends with him, so I brought him down to Melbourne, and we had Mark Hunt on. And I've just done Dave Reynolds last week, and then I'm doing Judd Reed, who's uh, one of the karate champions in the in the world, on Thursday. But the Rich Life podcast, it's called. And it's basically the sort of podcast is about hearing real people with real stories and just getting the insight. And it's anyone I've got access or contacts in my phone, I usually just give them a text or her ring and go, hey, I want you to sit down on my podcast and let's talk some stories. I'm just, I'm just always interested in people's stories. I love stories. And I thought, well, now I'm taking a bit of a step back. I really want to. I really want to hear people's stories, especially if I've got the access to the uh, contacts I have, which I'm very blessed to have, you know, then every, it just varies. So the Rich Life podcast is not all about being rich in regards to wealth or money or, or objects. It's, it's uh, basically how did, they, how did these people get to their rich life at present, you know, through adversity, through failures, through success. Yeah, so it's, it's just really real, hearing some real rich sort of life stories that's what i'm interested in but uh yeah in i think about three weeks time it goes up and up on the youtube so oh well mate uh we'll uh get everyone out there and having a listen to it it'd be it'd be good uh so good stories mate. now with mma fighters who do you see that's one of the best or, or one that you think is technically very good at, at present alex volkanovsky He's the champion at the moment, lightweight, flyweight champion at the moment. And I can't see, honestly, anyone beating that guy for, for a little while now. He's pretty much gone through his division. And he's the, he's the most rounded sort of athlete at this point, especially with MMA, that I, that I can see at the moment. And uh, knowing Alex personally, just his determination, just his confidence – and just the the people he has around him in regards to the city kickboxers in New Zealand with Eugene uh, Barman and his own coach in Australia, Joey Lopez. Those two, I think, are nearly the best two coaches in MMA at present. So we're very lucky in that way that there's such good access to uh, MMA at the moment. But Alex would be one of the best. Well, Rich, mate, it's, it's great having you in the beach shack uh, telling your story and uh... – you know, I think uh, a lot of people will love listening to it. Now, at the end of this interview, I uh, always do my segment called Five Fun Facts. I'm going to throw some questions at you. Yep. And you can answer them however you want. Shoot away, my friend. The first one is favourite takeaway food. Favourite takeaway food? Well, I, I've sort of got two. I, I love sushi, but I also love spring rolls for some unknown reason for spring rolls. <laughs> Uh, favorite childhood memory. The favorite one is being able to grow up with my brother, pretty much doing life ourselves with each other. Is probably you know my favorite, my favorite childhood memory. Cats or dogs, and why? 
I'd have to say I'd have to say dogs. I've got a I've got a little dog. You know, I've had her for twelve, nearly thirteen years, and I never was a real big pet man. But it's dogs, and uh, I've grown to sort of over those years. I've grown to sort of to love her as me sort of me friend. Obviously, raising my two children for the last ten years. My sort of uh, my other friend is is my little dog, me Pandora, who's a uh, half staffy, half Shih Tzu. So I'd have to say dog. But if you're a DJ, what would your DJ name be? Well, fun- funnily enough, when we had to own hotels, uh, we sacked the DJ once. Uh, <laughs> not that I had any any idea how to DJ, but then I. Uh, luckily, it was only DVDs and CDs back then, so I could just change them manually. But if I, uh, not that I had a real DJ name, but uh, if I did have a DJ name, uh, I'd have to call myself the Kung Fu Carrot. <laughs> <laughs> great name, mate, great name. Yeah, uh, that's that's probably my name I'd go for. <laughs> well, Rich, mate, it's it's a pleasure having you in the Beach Shack. And, uh, mate, it's, uh, you know, what you're doing for all the fighters out there and training them up and giving your experience back, it's uh you know, great for kids coming through, uh, especially in this day and age. Yeah, no, I, I love it, mate. I, I'll always love the fight game, you know, just passing knowledge on and, and just seeing some, you know, young young people really achieve what they want to achieve and that's what it's really all about in the end. Sweet, mate. I'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. 100%. Thanks for your time, my friend. Now let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Josh Burke back in. Berkey, how are you, mate? It's a pleasure to have you in. Bruce, I'm good. <laughs> I'm very good. Happy to be here. Well, mate, I was thinking back the other day of all the lifeguards that I've worked with, and, and your dad came to mind. He uh, worked with us way back, probably in, uh, 15, 16 years ago now, and uh, you were running around as just a little uh, young fella when he brought you down to the beach, so... Is that something that inspired you to become a lifeguard? Yeah, for sure. I remember being at Cranbrook Pool when he was doing his first test and I went with him and me, me and Dad were inseparable at that time, you know. He was my idol and he was going down to swim in the pool for some certain test and I went down and I was actually screaming at him on the last 100 because, you know, he's not the fittest at that time <laughs> and um, he just got in, I'm pretty sure. I think the time back then was 14 minutes and he just got in. So, you know, from there's some of my earliest memories is watching him do the test and then um, and then start working down at the beach. So, you know, I knew you, Box, Whippet, Reedy, Dino, um, you know, there were so many guys back there that are still working today and that have moved on. And definitely when I, um, I left hospitality and I was kind of looking for a new beginning and the lifeguard opportunity popped up, I thought, this is great. You know, I know it's a great lifestyle. Dad's been there before. He's walked these shoes. It kind of felt right, and it was one of the best best decisions I've ever made. Mate, did he um, give you any advice to be a lifeguard, or, you know, did he uh, let you know what to expect at all, or just left you you out uh, sitting out there on the cold? No, no, he gave me some advice. Push yourself to the limits. Have fun. And always back up the boys too. That was one of the big things, you know. Never back down from a from a big rescue. If the surf's big, you got to go out, you know. you really just got to front up and just be a good bloke. You know, he, he was very staunch about the idea that, 
you will spend 10 hours a day with these people in a tower all day, especially on a rainy day. You got to get along with them, which, you know, I don't have much trouble getting along with people, but he, he, he was really, um, you know, aware of that, that it can get quite full on. But look, it turned out to be one of the best jobs ever. So I had a great time. I know he had a great time. And, and it was pretty cool, you know, to have to work the same job that my old man did. You know, we did the same things. We talked about recesses. We talked about body retrievals. We talked about big first aids. You know, I remember when I was a kid, he always used to say, you can surf, you're, you know, you're surfing all right, but try get a big rescue board out when it's eight foot. And when those days came around and I went and did it, it was pretty cool. Now, what was that like, the, your experience of you know, your first week down there at Bondi Beach? Yeah, it was great. The day before, I sat at South Bondi and got so ridiculously sunburned and just watched everything. And I went, tomorrow I start my first day. I rocked up, sunburned as, and um, had a meeting with you and Scott and then spoke to Harry's. And the first thing he said to me when I got in the tower, he goes, mate, go for a run, have a swim, relax. You'll be right. And it was just, that's just <laughs> how it was. You... um. He trained hard. Jesse took me under his wing and, and showed me around, same as Gons. And it was just it's kind of all a blur, to be honest. Um, you know, I was 20, 20, yeah, 20 years old working down at Bondi. I'd grown up around there my whole life, and all of a sudden I'm getting paid to sit on the beach and watch the water. It was a fucking dream come true, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, that's one thing that people probably don't realise is as a lifeguard, you need to be relaxed and, and you need to be fit and you get time to go and do your training and that must have been something that uh, you really tre- uh, treasured. Yeah, there's um, there's not many places that you get an hour training break plus a lunch break. And I guess that, you know, and I can speak for the most of the boys here too, that hour training break is really important. It, it, it depended on what you were doing. Sometimes you're in the water and sometimes you're in the gym. You've, you've got to be physically fit and when you fit, you can back yourself in those hectic situations. You know, you might have three on the board or it might be huge surf and you've got to pull some out of the water. I want to make sure that I'm as fit as possible so I can complete the job that's in front of me and not let down the guy that's next to me as well. So it was it was a super cool experience and I definitely miss those hour training breaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you did move on. and um, So quickly, tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, so I moved on and I um, I thought I'd give it a crack at real estate, which was had a really good time, did really well. And then I've ended up moving into cryptocurrency hop. It's the wild, wild west. And um, so I'm working with Australia's most trusted uh, crypto exchange, Independent Reserve, head of merchant sales. So man, I'm facilitating payments between cryptocurrency users and traditional merchants. And it's pretty wild. I always talk about I went from wearing boardies as my uniform to a suit. It's a bit of a change, <laughs> but... I'm enjoying it, which is the main thing. Well, mate, let me tell you, there's not many uh, lifeguards have gone from boardies to a suit. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, though, on a hot summer's day, I wish I was back down at Tama. Oh. <laughs> and there's probably not many in suits that have come to be uh, lifeguards and worn up wearing boardies. No, I don't think there's any, to be honest. I might have to make a return, though, start working Saturday, Sundays off. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> the door's always open. Mate, I'll come back through. I love it. Be the best time ever. <laughs> well, Berkey, mate, uh, it's great having you in the beach shack, and I'll, I'll see you soon. Pleasure, Hop. Speak to you soon. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. 
This week's letter in the mailbag is from Jill and she's from the Gold Coast. What is the water temperature uh, currently at Bondi? Well, Jill, uh, and for listeners uh, overseas, it is current July, which is pretty much the middle of our winter. We've done quite well this year. It's only dropped to about 18 degrees, occasionally a bit under, about 17, 18. It's been hovering around, which is pretty good for our our winter period. Uh, But generally, September is the coldest month for water at Bondi, and it potentially can drop down to around 15. But hopefully, uh, we can hang in there at 17, 18, because it's, uh, even though it's a bit chilly, if you're in your boardies or your, your budgie smugglers, but you're pretty much uh, in a wetsuit. It's quite warm. So thanks, Jill, for your uh, letter, and I'll catch everybody next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.